0: Good morning and greetings to each of you this morning. In the name of Jesus, glad to be back with you again. Uh, Being gone two Sundays in a row, that seemed pretty long. But um, glad to be here with you again. I'd like to preach this morning from um, a text in the Bible. It's actually the first question that is recorded in the Scriptures Anyone want to answer what that is? First question is asked in the Bible. Okay. That's, I think, the second one. Right. Thank you. Turn with me to Genesis 3. Someone has said it. not only is it the first question that is asked in the scriptures, but it's probably one of the most important questions. But it is interesting that this question was asked by the devil and not asked by God. But it still is important, and we're going to understand that as we, uh, we go through this. Now, uh, Genesis 3 and the... Um, The text I'd like to use is from the last part of verse 1 where he says, Yea, hath God said. It's a question. Yea, hath God said. All right, let's begin reading in verse 1 now and read down to verse 7. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said? For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. It is interesting, you have three aspects of this temptation here. It was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. You could reference back to the three temptations of Jesus in the wilderness, and it ties right in with these three temptations here. They're parallel. You could go to 1 John where it says that we're not to love the world for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And so you have that span right across the entire um, history and time of the three temptations that are involved in the devil's uh, work upon man and in deception. Now, just for a few introductory thoughts. In the scriptures, many places, Jesus warns us against the deception of the last days. And I'm sure that none of us would deny this morning that we are living in the last days. And the evidence is mounting. The evidence is all around us. and. You just wonder how much longer it will go until God calls an end to it and brings man into account for all that is happening. And one of the um, you know, in relation to the deception of the last days, you know, there's a lot of um, uh, signs, and but part of that is the rampant deception. And Jesus warned, like I said, many times. And just look at Matthew 24 and think about um, in that chapter alone, he mentions four times about deception. In verse 4 there, take heed that no man deceive you. Verse 5, many shall come in my name and shall deceive many. I think that's so called Christians come in the name of Christ, come under the banner of Christianity and yet they're deceivers. And I think we see that all around. You know, um, how can it be that people that profess or use the name Christian actually are living and promoting rampant um, deception? I read recently, you know, some of the positions now that the Church of England is taking. And the Methodist Church, and um in relation to the um to homosexuality and ordained ordination of women and you go down the list and you watch and you read some of this and Jesus said they're going to come in my name they're going to be under the banner of Christian but it's deception and so that is serious verse 11 of Matthew 24, very similar. He says, many false Christs shall arise and shall deceive many. So preaching a different gospel, preaching a different Christ, but it's a false Christ. And you you think a little bit there where, um, like when, you know, Peter took Jesus and began to say, you know, that no, these things aren't going to happen to you. In other words, you're not going to be crucified. You're not going to be taken like that. What did Jesus say? Get thee behind me, Satan. It was a false message. It was a false assumption. And so Jesus said, Many false Christs shall arise in the last days and deceive many. Verse 24, again he says in the same chapter, For there shall arise many false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, in so much as if it were possible they would deceive the very elect. Again, it's a message of warning about the deception of the last days and the attempt of the devil to deceive the very elect. The last of those who are standing true to the gospel message on earth are going to be surrounded by deception and it's going to be um, it's going to be intense. Now I'd like to turn to one other scripture, uh, 2 Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians two, and verse eight. This is also speaking of the last days, the mystery of iniquity. Um, verse seven. And uh, somewhat before that, but, um, well, I'd just like to back up a little bit. Verse 3, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Sometimes we refer to this individual as an antichrist. And notice that it's a religious person. This isn't just, this isn't an atheist. This is someone who is pretending to fill the place of God, to sit in the temple of God and pretending to be God and to speak for God. That's what it's saying here. So that is interesting. It's actually a relig- religious person. It may even... Like those other scriptures we looked at, be under the name of Christ, or you could say the name Christian, but it is Antichrist. Verse 5 Remember ye not that when I was yet with you I told you these things, and now ye know what withholdeth that, that he might be revealed in his time? For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will be let, in other words, held back until he be taken out of the way. There's a resistance, there's a pushback, there's a holding back, verse 7. And then shall the wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, And why? Because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned, who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So there we we notice what the scripture tells us, what God is going to do with this mass deception that we see, building up all around us on every hand. Now, another thing to think about here in verse 9, that there's going to be one of the characteristics, or some of the characteristics is going to be that there's going to be a display of power, and there's going to be signs and wonders. But they're going to be false. It's very important that we understand that there is spiritual power in this world and it's not the power of God. Uh, maybe I've used this illustration before, I'm not sure. I remember years ago a man I worked with having some health issues, and he went to a local, uh, local doctor. Maybe we could call him a quack doctor. And he was, um, had him stand under a certain light In his office there, and he was telling us back when he got back in the lunchroom at the mill there. And uh, he had him stand under this certain light, kind of a light. And he was um, checking, he had his, made him hold his arms out with his eyes closed, standing under this light. And um, to decide what medicines he would need, he would put them, the pills, into his outstretched arms to see which one, balance it from one arm to the other, to see which arm was going up or down. And then after he figured out which medicines were right for him, then he figured out the dosage by doing the same thing, by by measuring that out in his arms. Of course, standing there with your eyes closed, keeping your balance, you know how that works. I'm not gonna pass judgment on all that. I would never do it. But well, what I will say, and, well, I, I, let me finish. He came back and he told he said, you know, he said, it actually worked. He said, I could even hardly keep my arms. He said, it just, he said, it worked. And he was a professing Christian man. And I told him later, I said, just remember, the devil has supernatural power too. And just because you say it worked does not mean it's right. And and I just use that as illustration in relation to some of this. The Bible says in the last days there is going to be signs, supernatural signs. There's going to be wonders. There's going to be supernatural displays of power. But it's not going to be of God. Revelation says that the devil is going to bring fire down from heaven. It's part of his deception of the last days. I don't know what all that means. But it does say that a lot of people are going to believe it. Say, "Well oh, look, look at this. Remember, just because it is a demonstration of power doesn't mean it's God's power. The devil has a lot of power too. Ultimately, we know that God is supreme, but it's, it's the work of the devil. And that's why it says here, "Whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, with all deceivableness, of unrighteousness in them that perish. Why? Because they received not the love of the truth." We'll come back to this later, probably, in the message, but I'm going to say it now. You know, it just means that we have to stay close to the Scriptures, close to the truth. Brother Joe shared that in the devotional this morning. I appreciate that. You know, that into the Scriptures. Like, that's what's going to be... will help us to understand this. Then in verse 11, For this cause God shall send them strong delusion. There's a point in which, in deception where a person deliberately goes against the truth and goes into deception and allows himself to be deceived, there's a point of no return. There is a point of no return. He says it's the unpardonable sin, maybe it comes into that category. But it says that God's going to send them strong delusion. That you know, people that purposely deny the truth and go and continue in unrighteousness, And follow the ways of sin and death. They know better. They were taught better. They do it anyway. There is a point. There is a line that is crossed where God will actually help them further them in their delusion. How how does that happen? You take it happened with Pharaoh. You know Pharaoh would. You know he he saw the signs and wonders that Moses did and. Yes, you know his like I was saying about the devil having power. you remember those um astrolog- astro- uh, astrologers and magicians there in Pharaoh's court? you know they threw their rod down, it became a snake too, so it's like Moses did this, and these these men did the same thing except Moses' rod ate up theirs, so I guess that should have said something, but later. You know, those men couldn't do it. They could not repeat the plagues. Only only the first couple they could. But uh, God hardened Pharaoh's heart by continually setting before him demonstrations of divine power and divine truth. And that is what hardened Pharaoh's heart. So Pharaoh hardened his own heart, in a sense, because every time truth was presented, you know, and he would say, oh, no, take this plague away from me, you know, call on the Lord for me. And the Lord will remove it. And then he will go back on his word. He said, no, you're not going to leave. And so God sent another plague. And on and on it went. Those ten plagues was a part of Pharaoh hardening his heart and turning against truth. And that is the way it is in relation to us, that delusion. God sending people strong delusion that they actually believe a lie. They will believe that it's true when it's a lie. Then it says, that they should believe a lie. Now it's interesting, if you look in any of the um, original language um, of that verse, it actually would be translated believe the lie. Remember that. It's not just a lie, it's the lie. And that goes right back to what we read in Genesis 3, the lie that ye shall be as gods knowing good and evil. Become as gods. Be your own master. Be able to Do what you want to do and still, and uh, somehow get away with it. No. How can we keep our spiritual footing in the midst of mass mass apostasy that is all around us? How are we going to find our way? How's our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, how are they going to find their way in the midst of all of this? It's a question that comes to our minds various times and places, various ages. I would like to think next in relation to this, the implication of this question, and we're going to come back to that question as far as us keeping our footing. Now, what is the implication of this question? Back to Genesis 3. When in the perfect garden... And would we say that if man, if we would have the chance to live in that perfection, why would you choose otherwise? Isn't that strange? The serpent came and said, ask this question, yea, hath God said? Yea, hath God said? Now, the implication of this question involves numerous things. Number one is, it's the recognition of free will. The fact that the devil could instigate this question and cause the thoughts to turn in the mind of Eve, later in the mind of Adam, that somehow the fact is that they had a choice of whether they would believe God or not. That is implied in this question. Yea, hath God said... Before that, I'm not sure they even thought about it, that there was any question to be raised about what God had said. In a perfect relationship, in a perfect situation, as good we would say as it can get, That it was, not, it was a non-issue. Until the devil came in, and in a sense he was saying, you know, you have the free will to actually question this. And to think this through yourself. And that's what started this. Now, the second thing that is a part of this question is that it insinuated doubt about the word of God. It insinuated doubt. Yea, hath God said. In other words, but what did he really mean? What did he really say? And don't we hear that so many times today when people, you know, they'll say, yes, I know the Bible says that, but what does God really mean? Or they'll say, well, yes, I know it says it, but you know, I don't really think that God means this. He, he, he probably means this over here. And they, and they started interpreting, they start messing around with the meaning of what God has said. And that's what the devil was doing here. He was insinuating doubt about the word of God. Furthermore, he misrepresented what God had actually said. The way this question was crafted is very interesting. He says, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. He didn't say, Is there one tree that you can't eat of? In other words, One out of the many. There was one restriction here. The only restriction that God put on Adam and Eve in the garden was, Don't eat of this one tree. The devil comes along, and when he asks the question, he says, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the way that is given is you have a lot of restrictions on you. You There's a lot of trees that you can't eat of. Is that ever familiar? Does that sound like something we've heard? All restrictions, all these restrictions... That God puts on us all these things we can't do, and people lauding their freedom to do all kinds of things that at one time they thought they were forbidden to do. So the devil misrepresents what God actually said. God says, "You may eat of all the trees, but one." The devil comes back and says, "Did he say, you know, that uh, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden?" Another interesting thing here, and I'm not sure I understand this, but Eve said of the tree, the one tree they were not to eat of, she said we we're not even to touch it. And I'm not sure the Bible doesn't record if that was part of what God said or not. I'm not sure if that was taking it a step, further. I don't understand that. But other but she did understand they were not to eat of it. Now, what happened next? Well, next, when she answered this, and then the devil, his next insinu- he next insinuated, um, no, I should say this, he, he flatly contradicted the consequence that God clearly had stated. I know it was a misrepresentation, but he says in verse 4, "Ye shall not surely die. That was a half-truth, right? In other words, you're not going to drop over dead. God had said in the day either of you shall surely die. What well, God was saying, there's a spiritual death involved, there's an ultimately physical death too, alienation from God. But so the Bible, or the, so the devil took this, this, in a sense, this, this point or this truth and twisted it, and it was like we could say a half-truth, even though there is no such thing as a half-truth. A half-truth is a lie. There's... A misrepresentation of a truth is a lie. And the devil is a master at this. He tried it on Jesus there in Matthew 4, and the temptations there in the wilderness. You know, he says, well, um, cast yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple. The Bible says his angels, you know, are there to protect you and to bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Was that a verse from the Bible? Yes. Was that the, what that verse means? No. So he quoted scripture, he used scripture, misrepresented it, and formed a temptation out of it to try to deceive Jesus. That, and, and that's why, you know, the, um, in Corinthians, Paul calls him an angel of light. He comes as an angel of light. Sounding like truth. Sounding like, the, um, quoting the scriptures. And all of that, and yet it's in the wrong context. It's misrepresented, and uh, many times people misunderstand it. But really, here he flatly contradicted the consequence that God had clearly stated. And we see that today. When, you know, when when someone makes a decision that we know is against truth, you know, and nothing really happens. They say, "Well, see, nothing happened. Adam and Eve didn't fall over dead." But they spiritually died; their relationship with God was cut off, and ultimately, physical death came into the world. And so, sometimes the consequences delayed. Sometimes the consequences not not immediate. And that's why the the um, proverb writer says, "Because um, sentence against evil is not executed speedily, therefore the sons the hearts of the sons of men are fully set in them to do evil." In other words, because consequence doesn't happen right now, then it's like, oh, okay, nothing happened, so just keep going. But that's, that's a deception of the devil. That's how he contradicts what God has clearly stated. Just because there's some time lapse between the sowing and the reaping doesn't change the absolute that what you sow, you're going to reap. It may not be the next hour, it may not be the next day, but you will reap it. But sometimes, you know, like Peter says there in his epistle, you know, they say, well, where is the coming? Where is this, all this going to happen, you know, since the beginning of the world? And all things just continue on, and, you know, judgment hasn't come yet. It doesn't mean that's not coming. Mis- or contradicting the consequence that God has clearly stated, all in that question. Yea, hath God said. Well, he next insinuated that the purposes of God are not always good. We have that in verse 5. The purposes of God are not always good. For God doth know that in the day ye thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing the good and evil. He insinuated that the purposes of God were not always in, in their favor or for their good. He says, God knows that your eyes are going to be open. You're going to have expanded knowledge. You're going to understand, and you're going to have a knowledge of, of good and evil. You're going to be like, not like God, but as gods. An expanded knowledge. Knowing good and evil. How many of us sitting here this morning wish that we could go back to the innocence of childhood? We did not know evil. Can you you visualize that? Was the knowledge of evil an asset to Adam and Eve? Is the knowledge of evil a help for us? You think about the perfection of Eden and what we wish we did not know today because of that knowledge of right and wrong. He insinuated that the purposes of God are not always good. In other words, he really, he was questioning the character of God. And really what he was saying is that, just so you know, God knows better when he said that. Or he, he was implying that God is withholding something good. You know, he's withholding this knowledge of good and evil from you. He knows it, he's, and he's doing it on purpose. He knows that you could be like a, like, like a God and know good and evil and have all that knowledge. He knows that. And so he was questioned. For them, the character of God. God is withholding something beneficial, something good. And it caused them to doubt the goodness of God. And isn't that a test, a trial for us ever since? Even in our own fallen nature, at times, it can be that we could be tempted to question the goodness of God. I admit, I don't seriously struggle with this, but I admit that I do sometimes. Maybe not the goodness of God so much as the sovereignty of God. Just some of the things that happen in war, the massacre of a Jewish village, and especially the innocent children. That's probably where I struggle with it. God is good. God is sovereign. God knows what He's allowing, but you wonder why. You just have to believe that God has His eternal purposes. He sees the big picture, and God is not to blame for the crimes of others. That is the devil that instigated that. But you, you understand what I'm saying, you know, to, you know? sometimes our own struggles to understand, like why God did this happen or why did you allow this, and we have to be very, very careful. In those times, because it can be that little question that is whispered in our ears, Yea, hath God said? The psalmist struggled with that. You know, where those were around him, you know, were looking at him and saying, you know, you know, where is your God? You know, this is happening, you know, where is your God? I'd like to think a little bit about the transition of this question. What is interesting that while this first question in relation to sin, which was the start of the falling of the human race into sin, this question presented by the serpent to Adam and Eve has transitioned to become the question of a fallen humanity ever since. I talked about the deception all around us, and a lot of it is religious deception, under the name of Christian even, which makes us cringe. But it's deception. But to think about that while the devil asked this first question, that same question has been asked by fallen humanity ever since. You think about those today who supposedly are enlightened or progressive, who claim a higher level of intelligence, a higher level of knowledge, and they come come up with all these things, but really it comes down to the question of their own minds where they're asking the question, yea, hath God said? And so now the continuation of this question. The devil tries to continue to whisper this question in the ears of humanity every day. Multitudes are falling for this question of doubt. And so we say, well, you know, yes, I know the Bible says this, but, like I said before, the question is, but is that really what God means? And you start to question revealed truth. And that is the first step of going into deception. We need to love the truth. Do we understand it all, always? No. But we seek to understand it, and we, with open hearts, turn ourselves toward it so that, we, that the truth can settle upon our hearts and minds and we can understand it. How do we know what deception is? How do we know how we're going to have the discernment? It all comes back again to the truth. We will understand... What deception is by knowing the truth? That comes back again to what we said earlier in relation to knowing the scriptures. We have to be men and women of the Bible. We want to decide something. We want to make this decision. We, whether it's in our personal life or family life or church life, we must come back to the scriptures. This is the eternal truth of God's word. That's what's going to save us from deception, and an openness to it. We don't approach it with an agenda. Oh, I'm going to see whether I'm allowed to do this or not. No, that, that's not going to work. The devil will take take you off on a, on a tangent. But openness to the Scriptures. If this is what it says, like the brethren there in Bangladesh and their innocence and just simple obedience, if that's what the Bible says, then we've got to figure out how to do it. Whether it's a holy kiss or feet washing or a communion service or baptism or the women taking their jewelry off and the women covering their heads. You know, and you go down the list and you say, well, that's what the Bible says. I think I told you about the time they realized that you're not supposed to be swearing oaths. Well, one of the brothers said, I just didn't realize that was in there. He said, well, we do it. like, but now, now we have to stop. I mean, if that's what the Bible says, we got to stop doing it. That's the kind of sincerity that we have to have with the Scriptures. And we can, because of our background, because of our heritage, because of our knowledge that has been passed on to us, which we value, but there can be a side that we can feel that we have kind of arrived, we kind of know everything, and there's, you know, we've kind of arrived at this level that there's no further place to, to grow and, and to pursue. And that can be dangerous as well. And so there is the continuation of this question. And it's presented in many different ways. And I think I've seen this in people's lives in the past, where they, where they, because of a certain level of spiritual defeat, they come to the place of starting to question everything. And for whatever reason, you know, that thing of questioning things can be a very dangerous place to be. I think here in the garden, Genesis 3, when the devil made this question to her and to Adam, I think it was, I suspect it was a bit of a shock to actually think, well, maybe I should, you know, we can actually think this through, we can actually question this, we can actually talk about this, when it was something before that would have been settled and, and final. I think this kind of question, like I say, I've seen it in, in people's lives who come to that point where they're starting to question a lot of things. I'm not saying it's, it's never wrong or never right to question some things, but when that door co- comes open in relation to truth, we're on dangerous ground. It can be tantalizing. You know, to think that maybe I can think differently about things than what the Bible tells me. Or I would say that it can be intriguing in the sense of, well, maybe that Bible doesn't mean that, so maybe maybe I don't have to do this. Maybe I've been doing it without needing to. It's intriguing. That question. For some, it can feel like real freedom. Oh, so I can decide this. And I have free will, right? So it can feel like freedom. Yea, hath God said? Yeah, he said this, said that, but you know, I think he means this. Who would not want to cast off restraint? there's a struggle within every human heart in our old nature that rebels against some restraint. And that's kind of what happened here, too. Yea, God said, oh, maybe, maybe I can eat of this tree. Maybe God didn't really mean what he said. Maybe the consequences aren't quite what he meant. But yet, in the end of the day, she deliberately did what God said not to do. See? But at the time, it was that rationalizing it. and Maybe it's not quite that way. That's how people go into deception. Or I can make my own decisions. After all, we each have free will, right? I can decide for myself. Yea, hath God said. I know what's best for me. Or sometimes it's more like, but remember, you know, the Bible was written a long time ago. It's an old book. This is 2024 almost, and people say, well, yeah, those ideas are outdated. They look at us sometimes and some of our things, how we live out principles, and they think we're just plain outdated. You know, times have changed. Out with the old and in with the new. Or the mentality of who has the authority to tell me what to do? It all goes back to this question. Yea, hath God said. Now in response to this question today, many are choosing to go against revealed truth. Brothers and sisters, whenever we in any way make a decision to deliberately go against revealed truth, we are on the path to deception. This is done, as I said before, and Jesus said in many places in the scriptures that it's going to be done in my name. In other words, under the name of Christian. So, there's a lot of people that would say, well, yes, it seems like, you know, Genesis 1 and 2 say that you know, the story of creation is, you know, in six days. But maybe there's a long creation. Maybe it just means like long days, a couple thousand years each. Or, of course, except the whole thing, the whole package of evolution. Who was there to tell us what happened at creation? God was. And so he knows what happened. Again, we could ask the question, yea, hath God said? Yea, hath God said that a man is a man and a woman is a woman? Where society and even many Christians are getting very confused on this. But again, the question is, yea, hath God said? Yes, God said I made them male and females." What about the marriage? The marriage is a sacred relationship between a man and a woman for life. What about that? Absolute in Scripture. And yet there's a whole push to redefine the whole meaning of marriage and and all of that. Yea, hath God said? Or that, that sexual relationships outside of marriage you know, is not the sin of fornication and, and adultery. But yea, hath God said that life is sacred and begins at conception, and yet some are condoning abortion. Again, what has God said?